You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross, your host, and this is episode number 187. I have a tremendous guest today. Wait until you hear his story. Can't wait. His name is Rick Rassier. So for 20 years, Rick used the one-man volleyball team platform in school assemblies to challenge students all over the country to set goals and be chemically free. In 2002, he built a challenge course on his property with a 60-foot climbing tower and other high elements. Since 2010, he has taken the training entirely on the road, working with over 250 teams a year. Rick has also been teaching since 1989. His mission in life is simple, challenging people in all walks of life to take their lives to the next level. He has also been passionate about what he does. But when he died five years ago, yeah, I said that. That was accurate. For over 27 minutes, his new life theme became Every Minute Has a Purpose. Welcome, Rick. Oh, thanks, Kirsten. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. And um, I can't wait to hear more about the one-man volleyball team. I know when we spoke the other day, you shared a little bit, and I was just so intrigued by that. And then, of course, you are the first person that I have spoken to who can say that they died for 27 minutes. Not so, too many people can no. have that on their resume. No, not at all. So I don't even know where to start. There's so many different stories. Let you know, let's start with the um how you died for for 27 minutes and here you are on this podcast. I think that's probably top of mind for everyone just listening right now. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. How does let's that, get that happen? Out of the way. <laughs> and if they want to hear the whole whole story, it's kind of ironic, but I just posted a podcast last night called the the greatest comeback oh and it's great. about 35 minutes long and it kind of tells the whole story but short story i i'm a freestyle kayaker picked that up when i turned 50 which is you know kind of out, out of the norm because one of those extreme sports that is pretty physical in nature it's kind of like gymnastics on the water you get on wave features on a river and then you do tricks in these shorter boats and I went to Wausau Whitewater Park on August 29th, 2015, and I had uh, kind of a crazy schedule prior to that. August is always my busiest month. I work with about 75 teams that month, the last three weeks, and operating on four or five hours of sleep, kind of the perfect storm scenario, running on adrenaline. I love doing what I do, and I think that 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 ad adrenaline rush from trying to make an impact is carries me through, you know, finished the week, went home, spent some time with my family, got up at four o'clock in the morning, four hour drive to Wausau, the Whitewater Park. And when I got there, I realized I forgot my dry top, which is, you know, in short form, it's a, a piece of equipment that you put on and it keeps the water from getting to your skin. 
and it was going to be, it was about 45 degrees that morning, windy, overcast, kind of drizzly, rainy. Uh, and I thought, oh gosh, I, all I had was the splash top, but I hit the water anyway. I was on the water for about two hours. I was cold. I, I should have got off the water because I had already reached the point of diminishing return. You know, I'm 55 years old at that time. And my body was cold and it's not really responding that well, but I was just determined to nail this one trick called the phonics monkey before, before <laughs> okay. I got off. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> the, the, the now, you're bringing up two. Yeah. What's the phonics monkey? And two, like what's happening to your body that you're like, yeah, diminishing return, not really working well. Like, can you go into a little more detail about the, both of those things? Well, anybody who's older knows that when you're, body gets cold it just doesn't respond it's just I'd, I'd rather be warm than cold and I I was cold I mean I I <laughs> I, I don't share this too often because my wife says don't tell people that story but I was so cold I even urinated in my boat to try to warm myself up oh my gosh and yeah, this was I, before or after you were still trying to do this trick before uh, well I was still trying to do the trick and I <laughs> I looked up at the Let shoreline. Let me buy myself a little more time. <laughs> yeah. I looked up at the shoreline and a buddy of mine that I had been paddling with, he was standing up by my truck and he was wrapped up in a blanket. He had a dry top on and I oh, I thought to myself, oh, that looks good. And I thought, I looked at my watch, 10 more minutes, but you know, I was determined to, to nail that phonics monkey. And that, that trick is probably one of the higher scoring freestyle tricks. And I don't know if I can paint a picture, but if you're on a wave feature, like a foam pile, you think of a, a mm -hmm. drop in a river where there's, there's a foam pot pile mm -hmm. created in the white water. Yeah. And you're really, in a sense, you're facing upstream because the water, that hydraulic type of mm. motion holds you into that feature and it's, yeah. it's retentive. That's what you look for in a white water feature that it holds you in there. And that's a good thing when you know what you're doing. And I was facing upstream and on a phonics monkey, you kind of throw the front of the kayak, the bow of the kayak up and you kind of edge. So you drop the edge down into the water like you're going to do a cartwheel. But before you do a cartwheel, you do a cross ball stroke. So you reach across your body, put your blade in the water and it has to be at the right angle. And the power of that water grabs your blade. You throw your hips around and do a complete pirouette in your boat and then you finish with a loop where you go up and out of the water end over end. Oh my gosh. All right. So one, my husband's never listening to this episode because he probably want to try this. <laughs> well, he's not going to try a phonics <laughs> monkey for a couple of years, but it's yeah, most, most novice or intermediate paddlers don't even know what a phonics monkey is. But anyway, I was just determined to, to nail one before I got off and I'd been trying, probably trying for a half hour um, anyway, I'm sitting in my boat and my whole body, I was waiting my turn to get on the river feature. There were three other boaters there and my whole body just went, Bzzz. and I, I had a, I had a cardiac arrest. It wasn't a heart attack. People get them confused. A heart attack is a circulation issue. A cardiac arrest is kind of like an electrical is issue, kind of, kind of like grabbing high voltage line. My body buzzed, and as I was kind of tipping over in my kayak, I remember thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> and that was it. I'm upside oh down my in my gosh. boat. I didn't take any water in. I wasn't breathing. And, yeah, I, and I don't know how much you want me to go into the story, but 
long story short, I mean, it was amazing that the people there, uh, I mean, there was one, there was an ER doctor probably 30 feet from where this happened. Wow. There was an EMT person, a nurse, three people trained in CPR. Oh my and one gosh. Of the, one of the three people that was next to me, after a while, I'm upside down my boat and he thinking, he's thinking, oh, Rick kind of jokes around a little bit. He, he's just playing with us. Then he said, probably 30 seconds went by and he, I'm thinking, oh, I, he probably can hold his breath pretty long, but yeah, I hope he's kidding. And then mm. they, my, my paddle started floating downstream and they saw my hands kind of dangling off the side. Mm. And he said, he told me, I don't think he said this on my podcast, but he said, Rick, I, I was thought he's really doing a good job if he's just pretending <laughs> and, and why would he do that? And anyway, he tapped on my boat and then he did this my boat started floating down into the main current, which was not a good thing. And he did a maneuver called the hand of God, where you paddle up alongside of somebody upside down in their boat. You reach across with one hand and then push down on the, on the inside and flip them over. And wow. he went from thinking I was kidding to realizing that he's dead because my body came up, my head fell back on his shoulders and mm. I was like a dark blue purple. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, yeah, but they did 23 minutes of regular CPR, four minutes of CPR from a Lucas device. That's a compression machine. Once the paramedics got there, seven shocks from an AED. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And I, I mean, I was, they, they forced me to stay in the hospital for 48 hours and I was back on the water three days later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was That's tenacity. People, my, my, my chest was a little bit sore and I was, I wonder why, you know, yeah. something on my chest. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. It was beyond a miracle. I mean, it's just, I, there's not a day that goes by, you know, without me thinking about it. And that's, yeah. Like you had mentioned earlier, my new life theme is every minute has a purpose. Yeah, and you take advantage of all those minutes. I know it. Yeah, just the fact that 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 group of people was that close. I mean, an ER doctor, a nurse, you know, an EMT, all these people that have the knowledge to to jump into action. Yes. Yeah, and the e, the ER the ER doctor, he was kind of like in charge of, you know, making sure my head was below the rest of my body, that the, you know, my my brain was getting good blood flow and monitoring my uh, femoral artery to make sure that the, you know, the CPR was making an impact. It's just so many things that played it, you know, played a part in bringing yeah. me back. And the fact that your body would respond. I mean, there were the people there that could give you a fighting chance, but even with that, um, yeah, that your body responded and, and all was well. Yeah. People often ask when they hear a story like that, what did you have any, you know, encounter? Did you see a light or, and I, it's kind of ironic, but I didn't see anything, but I heard just about everything that was going on around me. Now, do you feel like you heard it from your body or did you, do you feel like you were above your body at any point? You know how people say like, sometimes they, they see themselves, you know, like if they see anything, they look down on their own body. Well, I feel like I, I heard it from my body because I, my body was responding. They had to, the EMT lady, she told me, you know, I came back to the same whitewater park two weeks later and she said, Rick, there was one point that I was kneeling on one of your arms with both of my knees and you lifted me completely off the ground. Mm. 
And wow. it's there's some French term for it, but they call it CPR-induced consciousness. So I didn't have a pulse and I wasn't breathing, but my brain was still working. And that's why I heard a lot of people, Rick, stick with us. We got you. Keep mm. fighting, that type of thing. And I was in, in many respects fighting the people that were trying to save me. Yeah. Well, you probably didn't have a lot of like logic going on at that no. point. <laughs> Not a lot of extra capacity for that at that point, I'm sure. Wow. Oh, maybe well, too much information, but yeah, it's it's something that people certainly are interested in hearing those type of stories and they're always they're always amazing. Well, no, it's riveting. It's just amazing that you're here and I'm I'm so grateful. So, uh the next story is can we talk a little bit about your one man volleyball team? Yes. I know well, you have a lot of success. Well, and the success was in in the fact that it was such a neat platform. It was just a powerful platform to reach kids. And, you know, the school assemblies, the, the eight administration, oftentimes I would get such good feedback from from them following up some of the programs, how the kids responded to it. So, but it was I, for but 20 didn't years. You, didn't you also always win? I played over 8,000 <laughs> games and I never lost. I mean, come on. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I, yes, let's celebrate your impact. And we're going to talk about that more. But I mean, that is amazing. And and share a little bit about some of the teams that you played. Well, I played over 25 state high school champions, some really good college teams. And it got to the point, though, towards the end where a lot of times I would get calls from schools and I knew that they really weren't interested so much in their message. They wanted to see if their volleyball team could beat me. Uh huh. <laughs> and you know, a lot of times in the high school setting, I had a lot of respect for some of these teams that, you know, if they won the state tournament, they were good volleyball teams and I didn't want to get them in front of their whole student body and then have them lose to one guy. Mm-hmm. There were a couple situations where I, Oh, you know, the kids would yell out some comments, you know, directed towards a volleyball team, you know, and I was just like, yeah, this, I, I don't want to be here doing this, you know? Yeah. So, you were doing it to make your impact. That was your yes. way of getting their attention so that you could then share the important message. Right. And sometimes I would try to discourage, you know, having just their volleyball team come out, you know, well, and then I, I had, there are times where I had coaches that, you know, coaches that were also part of the contact for setting up a program. They said, well, you're just afraid to play our volleyball team. <laughs> I had that happen once. And yeah. And volleyball games back when I was traveling a lot were still, you know, games to 15. Now they play to 25 and it's rally score. But when we played to 15, you, you know, you, if you were, the only time you could score is if you were serving. So uh, the one one coach, he really stands out in my mind. He was as well. Yeah, you're just afraid to play with, play against our team. And I'm like, when I got there, I was kind of on a mission. I, I, <laughs> and I I played this. We we did three school assemblies, you know, for the elementary school, for the middle school, and, and for the high school. And I played their volleyball team three different times. And then I would play a gr- group of teachers. But those three games against the volleyball teams was fifteen zero fifteen zero fifteen one. And they were state champions. Yeah. Wow. So you got their attention so that you could have the kids listen to you. So let's talk a little bit. So you've had these just crazy life experiences (laughs) and success. And let's talk about that impact a little bit more that you're 
working to make in the world? What is it that you do with teens? Well, now when, when I kind of at the end of the volleyball, I was about 50 years old and I, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to be so busy reaching other kids that I miss my own. That's kind of what really motivated me to kind of stop traveling as much as I was. And I, I had, a, I was coaching volleyball and I had brought some of my athletes to some challenge courses. And I thought, wow, what a, what a powerful tool. What a great, you know, tool to reach people with a message and challenge them. And, uh, but when we went to these challenge courses, there were people that, you know, they did an okay job facilitating the particular challenge, but they didn't really draw out some of the the applications that I saw that were just really powerful. Wow, they could have said this, they could have said that. So I did some research on experiential learning and, you know, challenge courses. And I was told, no way, you can't build a challenge course on your property. You know, no homeowner's policy, policy will allow that. Uh, you know, we moved out to this place. We had 90 foot, you know, white pines, just beautiful trees. And I was determined to build a challenge course there. And we did. And it was just uh, probably one of the best, best challenge courses in the Midwest. It, you know, as you mentioned earlier, 60-foot four-sided climbing tower, seven other high limits, a 500-yard five, 500, 500 zip line. We had about 125 teams out there every summer. And, wow. and, and then after seven years, uh, so many coaches were saying, Rick, this stuff that you're doing on the ground is really what's making the impact. The high elements, those things are really fun but how you're drawing out the learning and the applications to the other activities is really what's making an impact. Uh, I do over 150 different activities, depending upon coaches, objectives, issues, you know, or if I'm working with a company, same thing. Uh, and I plan a training agenda accordingly. And it's the people, people love it because it's, they're not really just sitting and listening to somebody talk about something they're participating in the message. And that's why experiential learning is so powerful. So that's what I do now. I've, you know, 250 to 300 teams a year outside of the COVID yeah. pandemic. So, yeah. Well, what an impact you've made over the years and will continue to make. It's amazing. So when you look back at such a career of, of um, working with so many kids and teams, what, one circumstance really stands out for you? Like what's, what's the impact that you make? Like what was the circumstance and you know, what was the response or the shift that you got to see? Oh gosh. It's probably hard to pick yeah. one. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's funny because I, when you, when you ask that question, I just, it, it just hits me in the heart. I, you know, and I, ah. Uh, when you, when you know that you make an impact, it's just, it's just so, it's awesome. I remember, you know, one of the first things that came to mind when you asked that question was going to Wisconsin, a school in Wisconsin, doing the one-man volleyball show. And I came back from Menominee, Wisconsin that, that day. And then two days later, I got a letter in the mail. And it was a, it was from a girl that was at this program. And she had she told me long, it was a long letter. She told me a lot about her life. I uh, had a, had a, an abusive father, uh, but she told me that she had planned to commit suicide after school that day. Mm. 
and uh, she, you know, went on to talk about how my message really hit her and really gave her some hope. And it was just really cool. And I had some correspondence with her afterwards. But I mean, gosh, when you hear from kids and how, how maybe you change your life or, you know, help them make some better choices, it's just, it's powerful. Yeah. You know, when you know that you make an impact and, you know, when I died and came back now, my philosophy really is, you know, every day I work with a team or, you know, even teaching, I, I teach elementary phi ed. I've been teaching 31 years. All I do is play all day. But <laughs> e even that, you know, just the opportunity to make an impact on those kids' lives, you know, that they would choose a fitness lifestyle because of Mr. Assier, you know, or be drug free. You know, my elementary kids line up at the door, at the door after a 25 minute class period and I'll say attention and they all <laughs> slap their hands along their side and I'll yell out drug free and they all answer in unison drug free yes sir and they give me this salute mm. well I, ha I have a little girl named Jocelyn this year her mom emailed me and she talked about how she you know had me when she was in elementary school and she said Rick do you have any idea what I do in this email and I I answered her back and then she asked for my phone number. She called me and she said, Rick, I'm a chemical health counselor and I'm a chemical health counselor because of you. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I just, I just started crying. Yeah. I mean, I just got all welled up because you never know when you're making an impact, right. but I, I just feel so blessed. I mean, for lack of better terms, so blessed to have so many opportunities, whether it's teaching, whether it's working with teams, whether it's working with companies. You know, I worked with a, a cleaning company, one of the bigger cleaning companies in, in Minnesota a few years ago where I did a keynote presentation. And, you know, it was maybe two years later and I'm at this old country buffet. You know, I, I eat a lot. I probably eat five to 7,000 calories a day. <laughs> so it's a great place for me. And I had this guy come up to me and he said, Rick, he said, you would never know me. I was just in the audience, but you gave this keynote presentation at this seminar and it changed my life. He said, I said, well, how did it change your life? And he said, well, you wouldn't have recognized me back then. And he said that he had lost over 125 pounds. Wow. Aw. Isn't that and, so nice to know that you helped that person. Yeah. Well, yeah. And my, my big thing and, you know, talk about motivation. It's an mm -hmm. interesting thing. It really is. And I, you know, in the beginning you said talking about taking, challenging people to take their life to the next level. Well, I probably give about 4,000 t-shirts away in schools. They say, take it to the next level. And underneath that, it says celebrate progress, mm -hmm. celebrate progress. And I talk about how that is really the missing link to sustaining a high level of motivation. We live in a society where people are really good. Kids are really good at comparing their, themselves with other people. Well, don't worry where anybody else is at. Just, you know, get that mindset where you're trying to get a little bit better today than you were yesterday. You know, progress, mm -hmm. make little steps and, and build on that success and that creates momentum and enthusiasm when you learn, truly learn to celebrate progress. Mm -hmm. Because like in sports, for example, kids, I mean, when I ask a team this, they fill in the blank. I'll say, 
don't believe the biggest lie in sports. The biggest lie in sports is people think that the only time you should celebrate is if you win, they fill in the blank, and if you're the best. Ah, don't believe that. You know, just celebrate progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it brings to mind years ago, someone was interviewing me and they asked me what my definition of success was. And it, you know, like when you think about it initially, it seems like a super simple answer. But then I was like, well, wait a minute, there's lots of different ways to define it, you know? And so since then, it was the first time that I took a moment to think about it. I was like, you know what? It It is, you have to have a blend of discontent because that's that like continuing the motivation forward, you know, so you don't want to have that now what feeling because you've achieved everything, right? So like the astronauts, that big letdown that they have afterwards, like, wow, I have this huge accomplishment. Now what? So you need a little bit of that, but you don't want all only that. And then the success piece, same thing. You want to be celebrating all along the way. But again, you can't have all celebration because then, you know, you're missing the little bit of discontent that pushes you forward. <laughs> so yeah. it's like that nice blend of the two. So, you know, celebrate, but motivation to keep moving forward. Well, and it's it, it's fun to see that with some of the groups that I work with, you know, and in that that satisfaction, that's an interesting word. I always say that satisfaction is one of the scariest words in the English language. A lot of times people have no idea what they could accomplish because they get satisfied and complacent. Mm, mm-hmm. I did. Uh, I remember about eight, nine years ago, I worked with a college men's basketball team. And oftentimes when I work with a team, you know, college athletes, high school athletes, especially guys, when they hear and sometimes they hear just, well, it's, we're going to do some team building. And sometimes people, when they hear team building, they think, what are, what are, what are we going to do? Sit around a circle, hold hands and sing Kumbaya for two and a half hours. <laughs> right. That's kind of what they envision. But I do some activities that are kind of competitive in nature and maybe a little bit against each other, but, you know, within your own group in the group, uh, what I did with this basketball team, I call the activity popcorn. I have a big container of maybe 75 wiffle balls mm-hmm. and I dump the container against the wall. You know, I had them stand maybe 30, 45 feet from the wall. And I tell them, I'm going to dump the balls against the wall, and then I'm going to time you and see how fast you can pick them up and put them back into the container. The container stays right here. Can't bring the container over to the wall. The only rule is you can't move with the ball. So you can pick up a ball and get rid of it, but you cannot move with the ball. So you can't all run over there, pick them all up, put them in your shirts, and then run back. You know, you got to get them from there into here without moving with the ball. Well, (laughs) you it's funny to watch these guys, you know, basically they're all fired up about, you know, cleaning the room, you know, cleaning up the gym. Mm-hmm. So this particular basketball team, I, I t- there were 16 guys. I dumped the balls out for them 18 times, 18 times. And I mean, every time they got a little bit better and they're chest butting each other, jumping up, grabbing the rim, hanging like monkeys, <laughs> celebrating progress all big time but they weren't satisfied. And I never, I mean, sometimes I've worked with a group where, you know, they had a time that was maybe five times slower than this basketball team. And the basketball team had fewer guys and nobody even said anything about doing it again. You know, normally 
and I work with a group that somebody's going to say, well, let's do it again. We can beat that score. <laughs> these guys, ne- there wasn't a, I never had to ask, let's do it again, 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 yeah. again. <laughs> well, I told the coach afterwards, I said, you're going to have a team beyond what you expect with, with them. Cause he had told me prior to the session, it's kind of a rebuilding year. We have, we lost four stars from the previous season. And when I told him he's going to have a season beyond what, what he expected, he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, because of that wiffle ball challenge, they're never satisfied. They always knew they could do it a little bit better. Well, that team ended up going on and winning a national championship in their division. Wow. First time from, from that <laughs> pool that anybody ever won. And, you know, it's just, what is this cool? Because they, it's that type of mindset that they were never satisfied. They were hungry. Yeah. Hungry. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Awesome. So tell me what words of wisdom do you have for others who want to make their own impact in the world? Got to be from the heart. Got to be from the heart. I, I think that's people can tell. I, if you want to make an impact, I mean, it's got to come from the heart and have the right motives and really want to change people's lives. That's, uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah. The volleyball started, uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I got a, a call from a guy from Fort Hope, Ontario. He was doing some missions work in this village, for lack of a better term, in, in Fort Hope was, uh, could have been called Fort Despair. Uh, alcoholism, use of other drugs, it's just rampant. And he called me up and he asked me, you know, whether I knew some volleyball guys that would come up and do some ministry. And I said, well, yeah, I know some guys, but a a lot of them, they have full-time jobs and it'd be hard for them to get off. And I told him, I said, Bill, I could come up by myself. And he kind of laughed. He thought I was kidding. And I went up, you know, long story short, I was on the phone for him probably a half hour talking about it. And they had to tell him some stories just to convince him that it could work. And and then he said, well, it's a big problem because it's pretty expensive to fly in. And I said, well, if it's going to work, it's going to work. And probably five minutes after I got off the phone with him, somebody came to my door and asked me some questions related to what I was doing with kids in, in St. Cloud area where I live and, you know, any other opportunities. I told him about this, this opportunity in Fort Hope and he wrote out a check for the, for the amount of the airfare and the travel and, I was up there and I was up there for four or five days and, you know, I was just excited about making an impact. Well, by the time, by the the last day I was there, the whole village came down to watch me play volleyball and share a message. And I, the the next morning, I remember being in this, uh, in the summer, they play volleyball in the winter, they play hockey. And I was in this hockey rink outside. There's no ice there. It was nice, hot day. And, I'm sitting there and I, I, I just, it just overpowered me really. I was just overwhelmed with the thought that I was going to be able to use this as a platform to, to, to reach people and, you know, not for, for anything, but that, that impact, I don't know. Sometimes people can have, I don't know, it's not like false motives, but they want to make an impact, but they want to make a name for themselves in the process. Mm-hmm. And I've just been so grateful to to be able to to do it. I really feel for the right reasons and have because it's from the heart that you really want to 
change people's lives. So I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and the, from the heart, that's what's going to keep you fueled with passion. You know, yes. that if you are doing it for some other motives, there's going to be a lot more frustration and overwhelm and resignation and, and all those kind of other kind of more negative emotions that, uh, that you don't want to have. Yeah, yeah. Very, very well said. I mean, all the stuff that you need to do to set up opportunities would, would feel like work if your heart's not in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if your heart is aligned, I mean, I always say passion is the litmus test that tells us that we're heading in the right direction. And, uh, you know, because we are given gifts to use in the service of others. And, you know, and whether that's your vocation or something that you do voluntarily, um, you know, but but figure it out. And passion, that that fuel is uh, that's our little message that says, yep, you're doing the you're doing the right thing. I like that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much time for uh, spending time with me tonight. And sharing all your wonderful stories and for the great impact that you're making. I know that your impact far surpasses probably anything that we can imagine. Just all the lives that you've touched with all of your work for so many years from, from teaching to, you know, the volleyball stuff and all the, all the things in between. So, uh, I just thank you for the impact that you're making. And, um, I just feel privileged to have you on the podcast for you to share all your stories. And I'm, so grateful that the right people were in that in the right place for your 27 minutes. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, so well, I, I want to, oh, go ahead. I, I just wanted to say thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed this. And I think, you know, obviously your program, what you're doing is making an impact too, because it's going to inspire and motivate other people to do the same. Well, so. that's what I hope. That's what I hope. So I want to encourage everyone who's out there to reach out to Rick. If you have a team, whether it's a corporate team, an athletic team, uh, he has amazing uh, services to provide to help uh, ramp up your team and also just the, the motivation and the message that he has uh, for teens is so important right now. I mean, especially right now. I mean, this yeah. has been a tough year for everyone and, uh, Let's keep those good, positive messages going. So his website is uh, Rick Rossier, Rossier, oh my goodness, rickrossier.weebly.com. So that's R-I-C-K-R-A-S-S-I-E-R.weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. And that link will be on the show notes for today's episode. So you can find that by going to defeatthedrama.com. Click on the podcast site and go to episode 187. And if you're struggling with any kind of challenge right now, uh, whether it's uh, you know trying to make your impact, something going on in your business, please reach out. I am here to help. I can get you a breakthrough within 15 minutes, <laughs> and I've got some spots left on my calendar. Go to defeatthedrama.com forward slash call, grab your spot, and let's get you some clarity and some focus and uh, some strategies to get you where you want to be. So until next time, get out there, make your bigger, bolder impact and make it a great day. Mm -hmm.